Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fitness Philadelphia podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Herding, and I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Philadelphia's best sports medicine physicians, physical therapists, strength coaches, and personal trainers. These movement professionals are the leaders driving the healthcare revolution in the Philadelphia region. During each episode, we gain valuable insight into how these individuals are changing the game. Please stop by precisionperformancept.com backslash fitness with a PH Philadelphia to subscribe and learn more. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Rise Education Platform. RISE stands for Rehab Integrated into Sports Education. We offer solutions for business owners who want to bring more athletes into their practice, as well as clinicians to help them better understand how to integrate sports performance metrics into the rehab setting. Our 12-week master's class for clinicians offers solutions for clinicians to begin to implement these ideas right away. And our business mentorships helps business owners figure out the solutions that best suit their business's needs. Visit sportsrehabeducation.com for more information. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fitness Philadelphia podcast. I'm Dr. John Herding. And today we, as always, have another special guest, Jim Early from Jim Sports Massage. How are you doing today, Jim? Good, John. How are you? Good. I'm excited for this because you have this vast plethora of knowledge and experiences and and you bring something to the something special to the Philadelphia area with some of these experiences and your knowledge. Um, so this will be an exciting show to, to kind of give people insight into some of the things you've seen and how you're helping people now and how your your practice has evolved to now teaching future professionals. So, Jim, can you because I gave you a little bit of a background there, but can you share us? You're going to give yourself the best you know, intro, a better intro than I will. Can you kind of share your origin story, how you got to be where you are with us? Sure, absolutely. So I guess I grew up in the Baltimore area, born in Philly in the Germantown, Manary area, moved to Baltimore to Columbia, Maryland, grew up there, uh, was a swimmer at North Baltimore Aquatic Club and uh, came up to college at Ursinus and then later on Villanova, uh, swam at both places and, uh, was having trouble what to major in because I was wanted to either major in marketing business or English and then teach and actually coach swimming. And my dad convinced me to go the marketing business route uh, because teachers got paid $11,000 a year back then. So I went with the route of marketing and business and uh, went to work for some companies. I My first job was with Black & Decker as a sales rep. And then I went to the Rubbermaid Corporation as a, a key account sales rep. Loved it. It was a good job, good company. But the hierarchy in the, in the management wasn't that great, and it was fine. But I realized maybe I'm not cut out for the corporate world, you know, uh, sales uh, quotas. And even though I had great products, you know, I worked for Black & Decker, Rubbermaid. And I decided, well, I was in an apartment living in King of Prussia and Valley uh, Forge area and decided it was time to buy a house. And, um, you know, people had kind of mentioned, I never really thought about it, how, oh, yeah, you give a good, good neck rub, a good back rub. I never really even thought about that. But then I had to figure out a way to uh, – get money to buy a house. That was my goal. And so the one thing here, I had this full-time job, sales, you know, I had a company car, health insurance, the whole bit, everything was great, but I needed to buy a house. Well, the minimum wage was like two seventy-five an hour back then. So that wasn't going to cut it. And I needed to find something else that was going to pay more to get a down payment because just like we're experiencing now with inflation, you know, the interest rates back then were 11, 12, 13%. Uh, we're not there yet, but I mean, we were there then, and I had to get a down payment of 20%. So enter my next door neighbor, Dave, whose fiance moved to town. Uh, before she started her full-time job, she took a part-time job at what is now Corteva Institute in King of Prussia, which is a massage school, and they just started with esthetician school too as well. It was called Pennsylvania School of Muscle Therapy, and she was a receptionist there. Well, on the weekend, she had everybody over for cocktails and barbecues, and I got to meet all the instructors there. And they said, you should become a massage therapist. And I'm like, 30 years ago, 31 years ago now, the reputation of massage therapist was not what it is today. We were not licensed. Uh, we were not considered health professionals. It was really not in a good place. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing this. I said, I'm going to have a bad reputation if I do it. But there were some good people in the industry, too. So I decided to, uh, after talking to them, I said, well, let me go to massage school and see what happens. I'll get the down payment for my house and go back to my corporate job. I just signed a contract to go on to the Walt Disney Corporation as a regional sales manager for the home video division, which wasn't starting until like November, December. And this was like April or May. So I left Rubbermaid, 
went with the one guy and his wife who I'd met at my neighbor's house and did one-on-one massage training at the school. Did the exact same number of hours, but I did it one-on-one or two-on-one, I guess. And I went to the group class once every couple of weeks, but I was the only guy. You know, back then there weren't very many male massage therapists. So, and it was almost kind of a built-in reverse discrimination because nobody would hire you if you were a male back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went to a spa or salon, there were no jobs available. So I went to school, got my certification. There was no licensing back then. Anybody could hang a shingle, John's massage, Jim's massage, Kathy's massage, whatever it was. So it wasn't very reputable. But now that I have my certification, I thought, well, I can go along my way. And um, American Massage Therapy Association is one of our liability insurance and governing bodies in massage. And I joined them and I became part of their sports massage team. They came and taught things like pre-event massage, post-event massage, maintenance massage, things that I didn't know back then. So I thought, well, this is great. So that I could take it to a different level. I learned how to set up at events. I learned what to bring with me, how to work events. I'm still doing that to this day. This afternoon, I'm working an open water swim over at Marsh Creek for uh, Bill Hauser has a company. It's a you know, multi-sport uh, corporation, which does a lot of triathlons and open water swims. So I'm still doing that, still setting up. I just put the tent in the car now. So I had to, I had to work. So I had a full-time job. And so I had to get part-time work and massage, which I really enjoyed. I bought my house. And I'm like, well, you know what? The more I did massage... I did it together for about six years with uh, Walt Disney Corporation and massage. But pretty soon we went from like Walt Disney and massage to massage, 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 and then it passed mm-hmm. my full-time job. So I was doing more massage work and sports massage work than I was really lucky I was working out of my home so I could make both work at the same time. Then I went to Marvel Comics as national sales manager for two years until they went into Chapter 11 still doing the massage. By that point, I knew I had to make a break. I loved doing the sports massage work. I went back. Back then, there was no licensing, so I could go anywhere. There were no boundaries geographically. So Mm -hmm. I went back to Baltimore, to my home, to uh, North Baltimore Aquatic Club after buying my home in Westchester and uh, set up at Swimmies. I went to my old coach and said, can I set up my tent and do pre and post event massage at these three and four day swim meets? Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents still lived down there, so I didn't have a problem with that. That was great. I had somewhere to go and somewhere to stay. And then I ended up doing that for a while. So the meet director of all of these swim meets I worked was a woman named Debbie Phelps, who's Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer's mother. And uh, she had older daughters who I worked on on the team. Michael was about three or four years old. He was over in the background. Nobody knew who he was. But I kept doing these meets year after year, commuting back and forth and having some business here. And my, my, my uh, Disney job, it was a whole mid-Atlantic sales territory. So I was all over the place. I could go do whatever I wanted pretty much. So I worked these swim meets and... Um, Ended up doing this for a while, and then after I left Marvel, I was doing it full-time and doing a lot of uh, swim meets and things like that. Well, Michael Phelps got older, and by the time he was 13, I was working on him. I now was able to, after the next year, Michael actually got a contract with Speedo for $1.5 million as a 15-year-old after qualifying for his first Olympics in Sydney, Australia. So I was working with him during this time. Did not go to the Olympics. He had one event and got fifth place. But he got a contract with Speedo because he was going places. So I ended up getting a contract with Michael Phelps and got paid a monthly stipend uh, to travel with him and had a massage table at his home. I rented a, a, a carriage home apartment behind a house about two blocks from Michael's house in Towson, Maryland. And uh, I did other things too, but I traveled with him a lot. And I was with him every week, sometimes twice a week. Uh, I was able to travel with him for about four or five years to different events, U.S. national competitions, uh, Olympic trials, the Athens Olympics, all the domestic and international meets. And it was great because I got a lot of experience that way, meeting other therapists and other healthcare providers, which 30 years ago really weren't integrated together and everybody was very separate, didn't work well together which is totally different today, which is why I'm good friends with you being a PT and I'm a a massage therapist because now people are working together and helping each other out a lot, which is great. So uh, Michael ended up moving to Michigan with his coach and after that Athens Olympics. So we kind of separated ways there, even though we kept in touch. I did work on him at several meets after that where I traveled to. But then by that time, I'd gone to Westchester University and Princeton and Penn and was working with their swim teams, then their track teams. Then we added Georgetown and uh, Villanova and um, George Mason. And I was working with all different types of sports, the Naval Academy, Hopkins. And up till about, you know, right before the pandemic, I still had 15, 16 colleges and universities I was you know, traveling to on a regular basis every couple weeks or whatever. And so I had to cut, kind of cut that down. So I had like at one point, you know, 12 teams at Princeton. Well, now I have one. You know, I just cut it down. So like little by little because it got to be a lot. 
and I traveled with their teams to different conference meets, Ivy League championships, ACCs with Virginia for their swimming and, and tennis teams and things like that. So I was able to really get a lot of experience in the sports massage world by traveling with these teams. They were also very good teams, so I ended up going to the NCAAs with them too for swimming and tennis for like 12 years in a row. I was at the NCAAs, which was a great experience in learning people, with learning and meeting a lot of people and my peers, which were great. And I learned that massage therapists are very friendly people. So it was good. We worked on each other when we weren't, you know, we're learning and teaching each other new techniques when, when we were, had downtime and the athletes weren't around. So I kept doing that for a number of years. I'm still doing it. But then enter 2010, well, 2011 timeframe, where finally massage therapy was able to get licensed by the state, uh, which was good. And we pushed for that for years and years and years to be able to be legitimized and to be able to have licensing and things like that. So that's something that we really kind of cherish and hang on to. And there's probably over 9,000 licensed massage therapists in the state of Pennsylvania, probably 4,500 in New Jersey and another couple thousand in Delaware. So they're all over the place. So being that I had so much experience with working on athletes and teams, when licensing came in, in order to renew licenses, we had to take continuing education credits, CE credits. And so we needed 24, we still do every two years, 16 of them have to be live. Except during the pandemic, we had to go to Zoom, which was a challenge, but that worked and we did it. So I started teaching continuing education credits through a couple different places, uh, CE training centers and massage schools and things like that. There are a lot of them around this area and training massage students and giving them their CEs for their renewal and teaching them. And, uh, you know, I probably did maybe I had one sports massage class in like the first renewal period. And I taught it like five times. Uh, then the next renewal period, I added a couple active isolated stretching and a couple classes there and maybe taught 15, 20 classes a year. Now I have about 12 classes that I teach and I have 180 classes scheduled this year. So luckily tomorrow I have tomorrow and Sunday I had to cancel because of low enrollment things, which I was like, Ooh, I get a day off. Thank God, you know, but, uh, but I'm doing a lot of that teaching lately as we've been rolling along uh, with the CEs because it's every two years and this is our renewal year. Um, I was able to back in the day when I traveled with Michael, you know, we were always the highlight when we went places because Michael Phelps with the guy was the guy. So it was really interesting. Some of the stories I have when we've been traveling and things like that, which is great, a lot of fun. But, you know, then one of the things that kind of held massage therapists back a little bit is we could only really massage with our hands, you know, and our, our forearms. So that was it. We didn't have any tools to use. We had some stretching techniques, but, you know, um, we were very respectful of the other healthcare providers because really for years, physical therapists and stretching have been hand in hand, you know, and for our licensing back in 2010, and this hasn't changed, we don't have the word stretch allowed that is mentioned in our verbiage in our licensing. It says muscle elongation were allowed to perform. And that was out of respect to the physical therapy community because we didn't want to infringe on anything back then. But now it's a lot different. Things are all mixed together. But our license still says the same thing, though, muscle elongation. So I've been able to, uh, over the years, work a lot of tennis tournaments, paddle tennis tournaments. I put myself out there in the very beginning, from the very beginning, doing massage outside, outside of the box. I never worked for an office. I never worked you know, in a, I worked in a chiropractor's office for a couple of years. I'm still friends with that guy to this day. So I would realize what I was good at and what I was not good at. I realized I wasn't good at energy work. I was good at more hands-on skills and uh, targeting certain issues to be able to help people, more the medical massage type of end, end of it, therapeutic. And I still work a lot of tennis tournaments. I have one next week at Germantown Cricket Club. And I do a lot of events like that. And I have a home studio in my home as well. Uh, but we didn't have tools to use. And so up until maybe, gosh, maybe... I'd say 10 years ago, 12 years ago, the first, you know, 20 years of my career, I never used any tools except maybe a little, you know, acupressure point thing, a little T-bar that I used, and that was about it. Mm -hmm. And now we've been able to use more modalities by our licensing. So I've started teaching a lot of those other modalities, such as cupping. And I have four cupping classes now with a fifth one coming next year, where I teach other massage therapists how to do foundations of cupping, facial abdominal cupping, range of motion cupping. Uh, there's there's four classes I teach, and it's really hot right now. So a lot of the classes I teach are cupping classes and some stretching classes, too, as well, and some gua sha, which is better known as grass in these days, but it came from gua sha. So that's kind of been my journey to what I've done along the way and how I've gotten to where I am. So I'm probably teaching, I'd say, at least 60% of the time, if not more, but I'm also coming home and doing massages every night, too. So I still haven't let that go yet. That's kind of been my journey with it. And I've kind of not let the fact that being a male therapist get in the way of anything because I just made it work myself. You have to go out there, get your business and do it. And, you know, I'm trying to help some of the younger 
therapists these days get jobs in different places and point them towards the sports massage world, especially the guy therapists coming out. There's a lot of them now. Um, mm-hmm. Cortiva, it's, you know, there's a lot. At Cortiva yesterday, I talked to about 105 people. I'd say 40 or 50 of them were guys. Nice. So that's a large percentage. But the problem is there's no jobs waiting for them out there. Not many people will mm-hmm. hire them. So I'm trying to get them into places and work with you know, different places to have them hire and convince them to hire a guy and give them a chance. So hopefully that will work. So I'm kind of mentoring some people too along the way and getting them to, uh, to help me out uh, and, and help them out with different events I have that have come up to as well. So that's kind of been my journey. Sorry, I'm long-winded, but... (laughs) No, there's so much to unpack there, Jim. So, so much to unpack, but I love it because there's so many different directions now that we can go, but you have so many experiences into working, you know, just working on friends and families, getting your skills up, and then grinding. I mean, you definitely, you still grind, and I give you a ton of credit for it, but then grinding to put yourself in a position where... You went from working on friends and family to just gain some skills. So now you're at the Athens Olympics with one of the best athletes in U.S. or in, you know, world Never swimming been. history, right? Yeah. Many consider him the best Olympic athlete ever. So right. you've, you've been able to put yourself in these positions, which has provided you with these great opportunities. And now it's great to see you're, you're giving back and, and you're teaching these courses and, and you're, you're still love the discipline of massage therapy so much you continue to do it. But then now you're teaching other professionals and now you're helping to get young men involved that traditionally haven't been involved in massage therapy. So it's great. Right. Like you, you're, you're really speak, you're, you're speaking well towards the profession of massage therapy and where it fits into the performance team. And it shouldn't be something that's just kind of pushed by the wayside because it you know, contributes wholly to the integrative team that you and I both share similar thought process of there should, it should be multidisciplinary because everybody yes. has a separate set of skills that may overlap a little bit. Yeah. But obviously I'm not going to massage as well as you can. And, but you know, like there's just certain right. things that we just need to defer to the, the other professionals in the multidisciplinary team. Right. I totally agree with you. And you know, there's, What's one of the things I told the students yesterday when I talked, and I had two talks yesterday at Cortiva Institute, uh, one for the day class and one for the evening. I said, listen, I said, the best thing you can do from the very beginning is make friends with people that are other healthcare providers or that work with athletes, whatever they do, whether it's physical therapists, chiropractors, personal trainers, nutritionists, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. you know, you can send people to, because you're going to get clients that you can't do everything for. So, you know, feel free to send them to other people and then they'll send people back to you when they need soft tissue work. And it's funny, a perfect example of that is, uh, you know, a few years ago, I've been going to uh, uh, an orthopedist at Premier Health, Dr. Ruggiero for years, love him, he's awesome. Uh, but one time I couldn't get in, you know, and I needed to see somebody. So I went to urgent, the urgent care they have there for something. And it was my ankle or foot or something like that that I had banged up. And I went and there was a young orthopedist there who was an osteopath, uh, Sean Pottinger. And uh, he was great. He was so friendly and so nice. And I'm like, wow. He goes, now, listen, if you have any problems, here's my cell phone number. You text me. And, you know, and I said, well, this is great. This never happens before. So now I've been going to see him for the past couple of years, not just for orthopedist stuff, but he's an osteopath, but for a lot of different things that mm-hmm. with my health and things rather than my primary care, I'll still go to her, but I, I go to him a lot and I'll text him and whatever. So we've gotten to be friendly to the point where he sent his wife to me about a month ago. And she's also a physician, but she's raising a family now. And she wanted to get some work done to her, which I worked on her. Then she wanted to learn gua sha. Because she does work part-time in a wellness center where there's a doctor and a chiropractor. and I don't know where it is at the exit, but everybody's all working together. Mm-hmm. So she came over and took a little mini class from me. But in the last few months, all of a sudden, I'm getting website requests. Uh, Dr. Sean Pottinger recommended you for my daughter, who blah, 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 blah. No, that's great. I would never have gotten – I told this yesterday to the students. I said – you know, you know that you've arrived when the orthopedist is sending people to you and referring people to you. You know that you're doing something good. And that's a good thing to do to get to know these people because, you know, we can help each other. And that's a good thing to be able to do. And so there's nothing wrong with referring people because we all have scopes of practices and things we can or can't do. And there's all different types of massage therapists, PTs, chiropractors out there. There's some I would never send people to, but there were some I would send people to in a minute. You know, so that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I approach that part of it. Well, and, and how have you seen that evolve? You mentioned licensing a little bit. Like, do you feel like the licensing helped massage therapists become a little more well-respected in the medical communities instead of just, I yeah. want a frou-frou massage that's going to make me feel good at the spa? 
Correct. And so there's, there's, uh, there's, there's spa massage, which we used to refer to as Swedish massage. It's mm-hmm. more spa massage. It's light effleurage work. It's relaxation. And then there's actually, you know, therapeutic massage, which is more, you know, medically oriented. It's not, you know, when you hear medical massage, it's basically more in a medical setting for therapeutic targeted issues. It's same, the same as regular massages that start with targeted and using different modalities for certain things. Those are what people, some people gravitate towards, but there's still a whole culture of massage therapists that's very, very energy oriented and does do a lot of Reiki and Shiatsu and, you know, things like that that are more uh, energy driven. And there's a place for everybody in massage therapy. Uh, but I just chose the path that's more uh, mainstream and therapeutic and medical. But yeah, to answer your question, for sure, being licensed as we also have something called a national certification that came around in 1994, which allowed us to be able to be nationally certified. Originally, the intent was to have people cross borders and not be able to have be restricted to the state that they that they mm-hmm. practice in. But now it's really gotten to the point where because of state licensing, that's kind of taken over a little bit. But it's given us a lot more respect in the world. And we have something called board certification now, which is nice. And so, you know, I, I kind of enjoy that aspect of it, of having that. And one of the first times I really noticed it is when uh, the very first time when I had to, I signed up to get the first vaccine. It was at the Chester County Health Department building. And I was in the first wave, which were healthcare providers. And everybody at that wave getting that vaccine was had scrubs on. They were a nurse. They were somewhere in the healthcare field. And we were included mm-hmm. in that. And that had never happened before. And that was something where I'm like, wow, this is good. I said, we're actually being restricted. We're, we're considered healthcare providers, which is great. Uh, we just have to make sure we keep up that reputation through our education, continue education, licensing, things like that. There are you know, some people sometimes who try to get away with not doing their CEs, not renewing their license, and just kind of practicing in some small towns where nobody will notice. So mm-hmm. we have to make sure we stay on top of that to keep, keep the reputation up. You know, yeah, so absolutely. So, so going down towards your your brand of massage. So, you worked in a multidisciplinary, high performance setting with Michael Phelps, but now it seems like you've been able to bring that into the private sector, which is similar to what we try to do as a practice. Is you know, all these professional athletes have resources at their disposal where they have their physician, their orthopedist, their PT, their massage therapist, their acupuncturist. Their you know, they have this multidisciplinary team. But very often when they come home from their team, it gets lost. Like they don't, they're not, ha- they don't have this coordinated team around them. But with things that you and I have done together and what you've continued to foster, you've tried to bring kind of that professional feel to colleges, to individuals in the area. Can you talk a little bit about, because even now, like you're, you work your tail off going to events with these teams to make sure you support them in high performance. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about how you've been able to craft your practice in that direction how it's been received, and then how um, you're working in, and you mentioned these realms before, like you're able to do, or like if, if we're even taking maybe an ACC tournament weekend as an example, you're working on these athletes for recovery, you're working on them for prep, and you're working on them for performance. How are you altering things to make sure they perform at the highest levels? Because you're their support staff to make sure that they do what they need to do and their training falls into place to, you know, place. Right. And that's going to, it's going to differ a little bit depending on where you go and who you're working with. If I'm working with an individual athlete, I have a, a pro lacrosse player that worked that plays in the premier lacrosse league that I worked on through high school and at Princeton. And now he's a pro and lives in Philly in an apartment by himself. He doesn't have that support team around him all the time because they're traveling every weekend. So when he gets to wherever they're going, like the next four weeks are on the West coast, they had a break this week. They're in Seattle and Salt Lake city and places like that. They'll have some people there. They'll have an athletic trainer and things like that, but not a lot of people. So we make sure when he's home that I go give him the treatment. I go right to his apartment in Philadelphia and work on him there to make sure he gets everything he needs there. But he's totally removed from everything. There's nothing there at all because all the athletes live in different places. Many of them, they're younger. High school kids and college kids live with their parents. So last night I had a high school swimmer come over who you know kind of you know landed on his tailbone, uh, falling down, kind of funny, and it was just you know kind of. It was bruised, I'm sure, but all the muscles around it tighten up. You have the QL, the sacral area, all of that. So we worked on that. And, you know, he has, he, he goes to Germantown Academy. He has a trainer there, things like that. And, you know, that I kind of took it from there and just kind of helped him with whatever he needed to, soft tissue-wise, to be able to swim this weekend in the meet. But those are all, like, individual athletes and things. When I go to different colleges and universities, it's a little bit different. And, you know, I had a hard time getting back into Swarthmore this year uh, because they now have risk management 
uh, groups in place that make sure that anybody coming in to work with their athletes or anybody on the campus from the outside is properly vetted and goes through a process and things like that. And it wasn't until outdoor track and field I was able to actually come in on a regular basis and work on them. And now this fall I have it set up where I'll be able to do that, but it took a lot of coordination between the athletic department and the, the, the trainer, Marie, and some of the other trainers to be able to make that happen. And at first it had to be done in front of the athletic. And I, I'd been going there for four or five years beforehand, but because of the new rules and policies, we kind of had to work within that realm. So we come in and do 15, 20 minutes on some of the athletes, maybe eight or 10 of them. Uh, that was great for outdoor track. And now we're looking for cross country. I'm working on some of them individually this summer and going from there. But it's been different over the pandemic because I haven't been allowed back into some places. And I still have not been. I haven't mm-hmm. been into Westchester University, but the athletes have come to me. So it's been different uh, as far as that goes. But, you know, I want to make sure I respect when I'm in a situation, everybody that's working with that athlete. So if they're, if they're I work with a lot of peripheral sports. So, you know, football, basketball, and baseball, I'm not going to see a lot of those players unless the trainers send them to me or things like that. Because they're, you know, it's coordinated pretty much by the athletic training department. But I see a lot of runners and swimmers and tennis players and wrestlers, things that are, don't get paid attention too much by the rest of the athletic training server. They don't have time to. And mm-hmm. so I'll do that. I'll take that on and help them with that. And that's where I've kind of had my bread and butter over the years. Yeah, I've worked on football players and baseball players here and there, but not like the whole team where it's coordinated like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's different wherever you go. But I try to make sure that anybody that's involved, is I'm going to communicate with and let them know what I'm doing. So it doesn't look like I'm working on an athlete on my own without coordination from the athletic training department or something like that, too, as well. You know, right. and you have, you have, you have some, there are some training rooms that chiropractors come into. You know, there's some that are PTs in there. It just depends what you're doing and where you are. So, um, but my, the people that I've been working with and coordinating with are mostly at either the college level or the high school coaches or the parents at high school. And then, you know, then they're adult athletes. I work in a ton of them and they just come over individually, but then I'll make sure if something's going on that, you know, like if, you know, I had one of the girls that came over the swimmers and stuff and, you know, you know, who I'm talking about, I referred to John and, you know, that's something I really couldn't help with, you know, so it's something that really there were things going on that John needed to help with. And then there's some things that are soft tissue wise that maybe he doesn't have the time to do an hour massage on somebody, but they really need that. He'll send them to me. So it's like mm-hmm. that kind of thing where we'll go back and forth. You know, the, the only area that's a little out there is depending on the type of chiropractor. I have two or three or four that I really like that I use on me, but then there's some I don't. So it just depends on who you're working with and what's going on. Uh, but right. with the athletes, you have to make sure that, you know, I always say to them, listen, I'm not going to give you exercises because that's not what I do. That's out of my scope of practice. But you have to remember, it's all about prevention of injury, recovery, you know, and making sure that you're strong enough to do everything. So it's all about me breaking down the tissue, they're mm-hmm. stretching and strengthening. And sometimes they forget two or three of those or one or two of those rather, you know, only do yeah. one, you know, yeah, I did foam rolling, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I make sure that I, I send them to the right people too. That's important as well. So. Yeah. Well, and then talk about too, like I, I'm envisioning the high school kid who doesn't really, you know, they're looking at, they might be a D1 athlete, but they don't really understand the process of massage for recovery or massage for performance. Like if, if, you know, a high school kid's reaching out to, or even like a college freshman who's now starting to understand, like, I need to keep my body right. Like right. what, how, where does massage therapy fit into their, their training protocol, their training practice game protocol to make right. sure that they're recovered and they're prepared and right. does your technique differ for each it, it does differ for each but it's interesting because sometimes the athletes don't realize really what it is with preventing injury and recovery and maintenance massage performance things like that until they get injured mm-hmm. and then that's Absolutely. where they'll you know and then once they get injured then that's where they'll really follow it along the way and and, be, and go back to things that they knew that they were taught you know, to know how to do and really uh, get a handle on things so they won't get injured again, that kind of thing. And therefore, that's what you see a lot of. That's what I see a lot of, too. But to try to convince somebody to do something preventatively, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. But since I've had some other modalities available to me, a lot of people have really enjoyed that, especially swimmers. Swimmers are really into cupping. They love mm-hmm. cupping. So and I do a lot of that with them because it's not massage. You know, it's just something different that they like. They want to have the marks on their back. They want people to see that. So it's kind of approached from a little bit different angle. It's still preventative, but I want to make sure they know that, you know, to come even when you're not hurting and when you're not, you know, 
play on your name there, John Hurting. Even when you're not hurting, you know, the, you know, the, they should come anyway. And then I break it up into categories for them. Listen, I said, if it's before a competition, it's going to be a pre-event thing. You want to try to prevent injury from happening. So mm-hmm. if somebody's coming in the day before and they have a marathon the next day, you know, let's do some stretching and cupping on them where it's not going to fatigue them, where it might fatigue them if they're, you know, doing something different, doing deep tissue massage, which they shouldn't be doing. So that's something to think about too as well. And so I kind of take that through with each athlete. I'm working on it a little bit differently. But if it's opposed to that massage and they're finished what they're doing, for the, for the day or whatever, then we get in and go deep with whatever we need to do. It's funny. I found that a lot of the athletes I work with that, uh, you know, if they'll come, sometimes they don't need cupping. They just massage is fine. But mm-hmm. if I've done cupping on them before and they don't yeah. need it this time, they'll be like, well, what about the cupping? I'm like, well, mm-hmm. we don't need it. I can just use my hands. No, no, no. I want the cupping. So the, yeah. it's interesting. They'll do different things. I know PTs use different techniques that we're allowed to use too as well. But I found that the more things that I show them how to do, the better off I am, you know, as far as, you know, making sure that they will come back and, and that they, they take care of realizing pre-event, post-event, maintenance, which is with the performance end of it. I kind of look at that as, uh, you know, preventing injury and recovery, you know, pre-event, post-event. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of athletes look at that. You know, it just depends on who you get and then what they're taking as far as pre- and post-event workouts and things like There's all kinds of things that factor into that. But I just make sure that um, I don't want to overstep my bounds and tell them exactly what to do. But I just constantly remind them that, you know, let's think about preventing injury recovery. Because once you get injured, you know, it's a, a long road back sometimes. So let's try to prevent that from happening. And it's easy to do. Being aware of the muscles in their body, when they're tight, uh, when it's referred pain, whether pain coming from a certain area. I get mm-hmm. so many people that come in that, you know, they have calf pain, gastroc pain. And I'll go and I'll assess it. And there's nothing really happening there. But they don't feel it also to the touch. So I know it's probably referred from somewhere else, like up in the glute meters or the sacral area. And we work there. So I try to train them that kind of do things like that that will prevent that, you know, certain types of stretching, things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. You, and you said something very important there. I think many athletes don't take care of their bodies until they get injured. Right. And that's the, an example I use all the time is you can sell an ACL injury or you can sell a performance program like increase your vertical jump by 12 inches in six weeks, but you can't sell an ACL injury prevention program. And they're essentially the same thing. Right, right. And, and, what's funny too, about it. and one thing I've noticed too is that uh, I never expected this, but my client base has each year gotten younger and younger and younger. So my niece just turned 15. She's a lacrosse player in Maryland. She's a goalie. And I've been working on her since she's been like 11 or 12. But this was uncomfortable massaging my niece, but she loves cupping. So mm-hmm. here she is, a goalie standing in front of the goal, and there's one position all the time. And it's like, it's not repetitive use, it's positional. And so mm-hmm. we do so. She loves the cupping. Now I taught my sister how to do it on her so she can do it because she's in Maryland and she really enjoys it and still likes it to this day. But what I've noticed is that now all of a sudden, especially with the swimmers and runners and athletes I'm working on, a lot of them have younger brothers and sisters. I don't even know they exist. I'm immobile. I go to people's homes. And mm-hmm. a lot of times there's been a younger brother and sister there that, oh, so and so is off at practice. And I'm working on the older one. Well, it turns out the younger one's a better athlete than the older one, and they're like 12, 13 years old, and they're playing mm-hmm. three sports. And a lot of times the parents have them in two or three sports so they can hopefully get a college scholarship, things like that. And I get, I get that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But I never had them in my mind to be potential clients. You know, Maybe when they got older, but I never thought about it until right. some of the younger ones would come up and they were home. and Or sometimes here in my office, the parent would bring a younger brother and sister along with the older one, and they'd watch what was going on. Then they'd have questions about what am I doing? What's that? What's that cupping do? That's really interesting. And they'll go and they'll take a picture of it or their brother and sister and say, oh, wow, mm-hmm. that's really cool. How do you get that off? And I get them involved in it. The younger ones, I'll be like, mm-hmm. well, this does this and this is what's happening. So this is how you take it off. Take that one off. And so I said, hand me that mm-hmm. cup and I get them involved in the process. Next thing you know, they're getting it done too. And then as they get a little older and they're comfortable, we'll go into massage from there too as well. But mm-hmm. I have a whole client base now that's like 11 to 14 years old. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of them. And it's like really interesting that the parent, before a big swim meet, I had this whole slew of people to come over to get just cupping done on the upper body before the swim meet. It's really what, interesting. Is that, have you seen that and now you've been doing it, you know, how long have you been doing massage therapy? 31 years. Right. So in your 31 years and you've seen all these professional changes, are you starting to see a shift to now parents and like the people that are the decision makers for these kids are starting to pay attention more to some of the recovery stuff? Absolutely. And are you seeing the same yeah. thing with, like we just said, like sometimes we don't think athletes think about it, but are you seeing a shift into athletes are starting to think about that stuff more? They are, definitely, especially okay. if they have older brothers and sisters that do too. You'll see that quite a bit and see right. that happening. And, you know, a perfect example is like, 
the person I was just talking about that my osteopath referred to me, the most recent one just the other day, haven't worked on her yet, but she's got an 11-year-old daughter that's a competitive Irish dancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. What <laughs> the serious. heck? I mean, what the heck? I mean, I would never have uh-huh. thought, you know, and that's, that's something I'd never thought about before or worked on before. 11 yeah. years old, you know, with soreness and tightness from Irish dancing, not an injury, just soreness mm-hmm. and tightness. And then the mother, the mother's like, well, I think I'm, I'm going to need something too. You know, that kind of thing. I said, yeah, 11 years old. So you're seeing that quite a bit. I had a fencer that was in Philadelphia who was 14 and she was the best in the country at 14 years old. And she took a bus by herself after school to New York city. This was right before the pandemic, actually a couple of years, every night after school, went to a charter school in Philadelphia, hopped on a bus and went and did training from nine uh, nine to was no eight to ten at night, and then took a bus back home. Wow, fencing training. Yep. And so I would work on her. They bring her out here. The father would come and be very serious. So a lot of these athletes are very serious about what they do. So I'm finding not only the younger ones, but a lot of the older adults now are getting involved in things since the pandemic too. A lot of them are walking. A lot of them are you know doing open water swimming. They're doing triathlons, things like that. And they're taking more of a you know I'm doing this open water swim today. Not doing it. I'm going to be doing massages under a tent. And this guy has me, uh, Bill Hauser has me setting up. It's the first time there. I've already mm-hmm. done uh, Duke John Kenny's French Creek Triathletes at the Schuylkill River. That was canceled last night, but I'll do it in a couple weeks. And I just set up a tent. I'm there for two hours. You know, you can't, when you're in parks like that, you can't charge any money. That's how mm-hmm. you're allowed, allowed to do that. So I just set up, just do little massages, give up my cards, talk to people, and get some clients that way. I don't really have to do that anymore, mm-hmm. but I like to do it. It keeps yeah. me relevant, and it keeps me seeing people that maybe I haven't seen in a while that I know. Uh, and, and keeps it fresh in their minds. And it's not hard work for me. To, I'm going to be looking at Marsh Creek Lake for two hours. It's not going to be that hard, you know? And, it, and it's fun. It'll be hot, but it'll be, I'll set up a tent. Might be, that's going to be the hardest part. But, you know, that's that type of thing. Next week, I'll be at the Women's Grass Court Tennis Championships, Grass Court Championships for all ages, from adults from 30 on up to 85 years old. It'll mm-hmm. be a Germantown Cricket Club. I'll be there every day from like probably 9 or 10 in the morning till 5 or 6 in the afternoon under a tent, doing massages all day long. And I do charge money for that, obviously, but it'll be fun because I've known these women for, it was canceled last year. So I haven't mm-hmm. seen these women. I've been doing it for 18, 20 years. So I see them year after year progress. So those are the type of things I like to do. But then I'll come home at night and have you know more clients. I didn't schedule any classes next week, so I'll be okay there. But yeah, and then in August, I don't have any classes scheduled because I probably work another four or five tennis tournaments during August into September. So I take time to do that, you know, and, and people might be on vacation. So not a big class time for them so back in september will be so i kind of mix it integrate it i mean i'm at the point now where i probably don't have to do any massages anymore with the teaching i'm doing but i'm not going to stop doing that i love doing it i love helping people so you know and then next year is not a renewal year so we might not have as many classes so um Mm -hmm. but i'm still going to keep doing it and kind of combine both because i found that when you do what i do and i told the students this yesterday you know make sure you're not just doing one thing think outside the box and do different things, have a few businesses within your business. Mm-hmm. Right now they're at the point where they're going to be working for people, you know, yeah. and they're going to be working for the massage envies and making 17, $18 an hour. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I'm doing is getting people out of that situation and getting to working for other places that pay more money or on their own. But that's where they're geared towards when they graduate from school is to go to places that everything's done for them. I said, don't walk in saying, what can you do for me for my 17 or $20 an hour? You mm-hmm. go in saying, this is what I have and what I can do for you, you know, and they're allowing them now to take continuing education classes for certifications before they graduate and have their licenses. They can't use the credits, but they can use the certification and they can market themselves to get better jobs when they graduate. So tomorrow, no, on Saturday, I have a class at Cortiva. I have 13 people in a cupping class. Five or six of them are current students in that school. Others have graduated. Mm -hmm. They'll be able, they're graduating within anywhere from two to four weeks from now. They'll be able to use that cupping certification to get a better job somewhere in a salon or something, paying paying 40 or 45% commission, you know? And that's great. Like your, your passion shows through, like you were in, you could have taken this sales career to whatever heights. So like everybody knows the type of money you can make in sales, but then you found this passion as you started to get into massage therapy that's now carried you through the last 31 years in your life. And now you're, you're multiple streams of income. You're influencing and trying to guide these Cortiva students into other paths, then just settling for the $17 an hour job. You're right. showing them how they can, they might have to grind a little bit and work an event at Marsh Creek, but you also, if it's a nice night at Marsh Creek, that's not a bad way to spend a couple hours. It's right? not. It's not. And I know, I know some of my friends will be there and they'll come by and hang out with me and stuff and that'll be fun. But, you know, the thing is also about it is that 
you know, before licensing happened or before the franchises happened, you know, it changed the business model. You know, people mm-hmm. that are franchises are business people. So they, you know, they, their jobs to sell packages. They give a kind of an affordable massage, but they don't pay anything to these people. And they work them eight hours a day. And right. I just tell them, I said, listen, I said, with what you've gone through and what you paid for your schooling and to put the time in, you're now going to be licensed. I said, you got to make more than 17 or $20 an hour. I said, that's that, yeah. that you, you deserve that. That's what you put through. So, but they're geared towards doing that and having everything done for them. The clients are there, the laundry's done. I mean, everything's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might get some health insurance with that or something like that. Even at lifetime fitness, you know, where I belong, you know, they started 20% commission on like a hundred dollar service. It's $20, mm-hmm. you know, and your $20 yeah. plus tip. It's disgusting for that spot. It's just not good. So I try to tell them there's more out there and there's more things to do. The goal would be to, if you want to, to work for yourself and do the best mm-hmm. thing that you can do. But then also think outside the box also. You know, do some events outside the house. Go to a, a, a farmer's market, a flea market, an event, a sporting event, a CrossFit gym near you. Set up there, do whatever you can do to be able to get into different places. And then eventually, you know, like for me, I also have a chair massage business and a sports massage event business where I hire other people to go to events for certain mm-hmm. events throughout the year, where it's just going to be more than me. So, you know, I had what 11 therapists at a hockey tournament at Iceline and they had to all be met because it was a Hasidic Jewish organization. Mm-hmm. So I hire all guys, which never happens. So I, or I, you know, hired them and got them all. They were very excited. And this is the second year we did it. And it was great because it's almost two days worth of work and I'm able to pay them a thousand bucks. You know, and that's really, really good, you know, for somebody like, like that, that, that and, it, and they're not working the whole time. Yeah. You do hockey players near the locker rooms at Ice Line, pre and post event massages, 10, 15 minutes at a time, free food, mm-hmm. the food's fantastic, that kind of stuff. So that's another business. And there's the chair massage end where I go to colleges and universities for stress busters and things like that, you know, for yeah. midterms and finals and then the teaching too. So if you can do different things within the career you're doing, you do the same thing with what you're doing. So that's what mm-hmm. you got to do. So. And that's the thing. You're almost revolutionizing like the profession a little bit because you're one of the, you're early in as like one of the first men getting, you know, their certification. And now you're trying to push the profession forward by showing them create these different streams of income, how you grind it to build your business right now still continuing to move it forward as, Hey guys, you don't have to fall into this franchise based model. You can do other things. And one of the things that, one of the things I fought for the last so many years too with social media until, you know, I it probably, I probably didn't have my first post from teaching a class. You know, I always would post from different events I was at and things like that. But I didn't really realize, you know, teaching classes, you know, posting how much more business that can get me to as well. Mm-hmm. And I had a younger person come up and said, a lot of us younger people don't look at Facebook. You got to go on, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So she helped me set up an Instagram account and how to set it up where you can post to Instagram that automatically shares it to Facebook. You yep. can do Twitter too, but I just do the two of them. Now I'm getting the younger crowd and the older crowd of therapists. And just from posting every class I do I, on there, I get so much more private business from like spas and salons and people saying, where's your next class? Can you have a class here? You know, and mm-hmm. it's amazing what you can get from that too. You know, like what jobs I, but well, a woman called me from New York state and said, I own three elements massage, which is a franchise up mm-hmm. in New York and North Jersey. She goes, I would love to have, you know, my three, the, the 12 people from my salons uh, learn cupping. You know, can mm-hmm. we do a private class? And she rented a hotel room, a conference room in West Orange, New Jersey for the day, brought in breakfast and lunch for them, had the 12 people there. You know, I charged them, you know, my fee for each one. And I just mm-hmm. got the check in the mail. And I'm like, that never would have happened if I was on Instagram or Facebook. So yeah. now I use those in a good way for my business. And then, you know, I, I look at Facebook for other things like, who's on vacation, where they are, the, the, the good stuff. But then, yeah. you know, I also post for events on that and things like that. And some people might think it's too much, but when you're running a business, that's things you have to do, you know? Well, and, and I have a question for you and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. It's always great when you start something like that. But I remember copying when it first hit big a couple years ago was kind of the Athens Olympics, wasn't it? When everybody saw Phelps with the cup marks on him right before he was about to race. Was that you? No, so that was 2016 is when that was. Okay. So, Got it. So I, I parted ways with him in probably 2004, or right? Okay. 1999, 2004-ish. 2004, right after that Olympic, 2004, 2005. So after 2004, 2008 was Beijing. That's where mm-hmm. he was really good. And he, got, uh, he got five medals from where I was, but he got seven, I think, gold medals there. Yeah. Then he retired. 
No, no. Then he w- did London after that. Then he had some issues. You know, he went through admittedly mm-hmm. some issues with depression and, you know, drinking and all that kind of stuff. And he, he's written books about it and everything. And he retired. Then he came back for 2016, which Got was uh, Rio. And that's mm-hmm. where the cupping happened in 2016. Because I first saw cupping in 2015, before that Olympics, at LaSalle University on some German swimmers I was working with who came with these marks on their back. And I'll never forget them. You know, And I was like, what is that? And they said, oh, we, we're not here to massage us. We cup each other. I said, what do you mean cup each other? Well, you know, they're cups you put on. And they, they have mm-hmm. heavy German accents. So they're, they're like, you push down when you do massage. This pulls up. And I'm like, well, that's easy. That's easy. Well, show me how it works. Next time I went in, they showed what they did. I had them do it on me, and I was sold. And I had to find a class to do it. So yeah. you know, I found a couple of classes to get certified, and, and I did. I took two certification classes before Michael Phelps even came out with the company in 2016 So yeah. uh, for the Olympics. But several months before that, maybe four or five months, Under Armour put out a video saying farewell to Michael Phelps, showed him swimming down a pool, and they showed him being cupped. And mm-hmm. uh, right away, I texted Debbie Phelps, who I'm very close with, the mother. I said, is Michael doing cupping? She goes, he is. She should get certified. I said, I already am. So she goes, wait till the Olympics. And boy, when the Olympics hit, I was able before the Olympics to market it just from that video to several teams I work with. And when I brought it to the ACC swimming, and I was the only one doing it there. But yeah. then when it hit in, in Rio, that's when it hit. So no, I did not cup him in Rio. But but yeah, I, was, I worked with him before that. I was his first massage therapist. But it was so neat to see him do that. And I thanked him for doing that, for opening it up to all kind of westernizing it or bring yeah it's a kind mm-hmm. of the coming out party in america for cupping is what that was basically <laughs> so well, that's the thing i remember doing it i was probably i probably was exposed to it right around the same time and i think i took a course around the time you were and then it blew up and was like well we've been doing this but thank thank you michael for yeah. you know showing the world what it is because then everybody was asking for it and now it's even bigger i mean a lot of my classes are cupping classes and i yeah. just have four different ones now and people love it and they just great responses. And it's allowing some of the therapists to work longer into their careers. At Corteva, a couple months ago, I had an 82 year old woman who deep mm-hmm. tissue was getting too much for her business. And she was taking a cupping class from me. Bless her Absolutely. heart. 80, 82 years yeah. old. And there've been many in their late seventies for sure. Definitely mm-hmm. many in late sixties and seventies that are pushing it to the point where, you know, I thought maybe in the next year or so I'd be retiring and stuff like that. Or do I said, no way. I said, I mean, I'm into this full force now doing more than I've ever done. And yeah. modalities like cupping allow people to be able to go further and further as therapists without compromising the treatment you're giving to the, the athlete and the client too as well. You're more absolutely. productive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. So we end every podcast here, Jim, with the final five rapid fire questions to give people more insight into who you are as a person. Are you ready? Yep. I All guess. Right. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> oh, good. These are fun. These are fun. What would be your walkout song? Like you're walking, you're walking into an appointment, first appointment of the day. Well, ready to get somebody uh, ready. Honestly, for it's, it's the first. It's the first song on my Amazon playlist and on my iPod. It's a song called "Lovely Day" by Bill Withers. Love it. What's your favorite exercise? You like to work out. What's your favorite exercise? Swimming. If you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, ah. what would it be? Mashed potatoes. <laughs> really? What do you put in them? I love, I just love mashed potatoes with butter on them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my. But I'm Irish, so I'm old school. I'm like okay. the, you know, and, and actually the, the the actually what I would have is when I had growing up, my mom would make ground beef, mashed potatoes, and corn, and I was like shepherd's pie. Yeah, I would mix them all together on the plate, put butter and salt and pepper on them, and to this day I still love that. Oh, that's great. I love. I mean, it. I'm eating healthier now, but that would be my one thing if I had to. Yeah. Yeah. What about a guilty pleasure? Oh, that's a tough one. I get a guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. I don't let myself have a lot of guilty pleasures, but I guess it would be, I I don't know. It would probably be that mashed potatoes thing too as well, but it would probably be something (laughs) food wise. But like, you know, I guess a guilty, like guilty pleasure on a regular basis. Yeah. Either way. Like I know you, you're like, you're a gin and tonic guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gin and tonic is definitely guilty pleasure. Yes, for sure. And Mary, who's 103, drinks them. So, yeah, that's definitely a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, if she's doing it, that's that's a key to longevity yeah. right there. Yeah. But I'm not um, like shiny, flashy car type guy. That's not me. It's more like, yeah, gin and tonic or mashed potatoes or something like that or, you know, uh, uh, black cherry ice cream or something like that. That's what I would have. Love it. 
And then finally, what's your favorite thing about the Philadelphia area? I think the history and the character that we have in this area that, you know, because I was raised in Baltimore, Maryland, I still, I'm still down there a lot. And the whole Baltimore, Washington suburbs doesn't have that. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of neat to go down the bottom of my street and see the ship in with the, the stone and, and the action and, and being so close to Amish country. When I drive out to Lancaster, going out and see the fields and the simple life of the Amish and things like that. I love that. That's what I really like about the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area for sure. Love it. Yeah, we get that answer a lot. So, Jim, really appreciate you. Can you let people know what they want to schedule an appointment, find out more information about you? What's some of the best ways that they can contact you if they're looking to gain more information or schedule something? Well, I can give my, I can, you want me to give my cell phone, email, that kind of thing, or whatever you're most comfortable with, social media, like Instagram, all that. So, my, my, face, my Facebook is Jim Early, E A R L E Y. And when you see my profile, it's somebody laying down with cups on their back, so you'll know that that's me. It's Jim Early, E-A-R-L-E-Y. My Instagram is Jim Sportsman. I don't look at messages too much on Instagram. So probably Facebook or my email is James Early, E-A-R-L-E-Y, the number one at gmail.com. James Early one. My website is Jim Early Sport, Jim Early's Massage.com. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So if you got... If the athletes out there are looking for any kind of, you know, recovery, prep, performance, massage, any schools are looking for modalities, class and cupping or gua sha or different techniques, Jim's the man. We've worked together for years. I highly recommend his service. I'm I'm really mo- and I'm mobile too. I go to people's homes too as well. So, yeah. So you're you're in in your home at their homes and at events as well, right? Yep. Yeah. Love it. Thanks for um, having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Any closing thoughts? No, I just really, you know, John is here promoting me, but I'll tell you what, this best physical therapist around is John Herding. So I'm uh, (laughs) going to give him a shout out too as well. Awesome Uh, guy. Well, I really appreciate you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. All right. Appreciate Appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Hey, hold on a second. Don't leave yet. This is your host, Dr. John Herding, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fitness Philadelphia. If you did, I'm going to ask you to do three simple things. They take less than five minutes and they go such a long way. We really do appreciate it. Number one, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to it. iTunes, Spotify, or whatever it may be. Number two, please leave us a favorable review. Number three, share it. Put it on social media. Talk about it with your friends. Send it in a text message. Whatever you can do to share this episode because we put a lot of work into it and we want to make sure as many people are getting the value out of it as possible. And lastly, if you'd like to learn more, please go to precisionperformancept.com backslash fitness Philadelphia. Thank you so much. This is Dr. John Herding. This is Fitness Philadelphia and have a great day.